Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. So hi, I'm Kirk Kroc from Performance Freediving International. I'm on the Big Scuba podcast with Gemma and Ian, and we're going to be talking about freediving and the world's oceans and a little bit of our time on Avatar. So come on and enjoy the ride. Here we are, once again. Hey, Ian and Gemma, it's Kirk here from uh, Performance Freediving and Avatar on the 16th. It's uh, coming out, and I'm just recalling our interviews we did in the past. So hopefully on the 16th you're gonna of December, you're going to have some, uh, some good Avatar parties. I'll be along at the same time. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing our interviews again. So, Kirk Kroc. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Big Scuba podcast. And uh, with us is Gemma and myself. And we'd like to just talk to you about your uh, free diving, your uh, history into diving, uh, how you help the today's A-listers get to zero to several minutes in the water and holding their breath. You know, that's amazing. Uh, you've recently been credited with helping Kate Winslet. Um, we on the Avatar 2 film and helping her with her breath holding and being able to do that film work and I believe holding her breath from uh, just a few seconds right through to over seven minutes which is an absolutely amazing thing for anyone to do you know and uh, we'd like to talk about that as well so um, maybe we can start off with Tell if you can explain a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Kirk Kroc. So I'm the president and founder of Performance Freediving International. Um, grew up a water baby, you know, lifeguard, swim instructor. Um, started scuba diving when I was uh, about 14. I think I got certified. It was a birthday present or a Christmas present from my parents. And... Um, you know, just kind of became a recreational dive instructor. Uh, water was a big thing in our lives. We had a sailboat, we snorkeled, we skin dived. Um, you know, we were actually free diving, but we didn't know it was called free diving at that time. In fact, you know, I think uh, once you're taking very specific breaths and you're using the surface as a means to prepare to go under the water, where that's where really the risks start to come into, especially if you're getting into that five meter and equalizing multiple times. So was a free diver very early on, not realizing it, not really aware of the risk. But yeah, I became a, I became a dive instructor in 88. And uh, when I was 20, I bought my first dive shop when I was 20. Um, I worked for a guy for a year and then I bought him out and he went to Thailand. And um, so, and I've always worked for myself from that time. So I, uh, I started this inland diving center uh, on on our trips, um, you know, if we went to the Caribbean with a group every third day, I'd, I'd skip scuba diving and I'd, I'd just go snorkeling, you know, but yeah. snorkeling the 20 meters and playing with all my customers and their bubbles and things like that. Um, so I sold that. I moved back to the Cayman Islands for a second time. Um, in that time, I had actually got into technical diving. So this would have been in the early 90s. I became a nitrox instructor and then a technical nitrox instructor and then a trimix and instructor trainer and all of that stuff. So by, by mid 90s, I was uh, in the mixed gas, trimix, instructor trainer, all that sort of thing. I had started a dive shop in the, in the Cayman Islands called Dive Tech. And that's really what we focused on and specialized in. But during that time, again, this passion of just 
shedding, you know, four to six tanks off of me because it was all open circuit in that time. There was no rebreathers doing the depths we were doing. You know, I was doing like 175 meter dives in the mid to late 90s, uh, all staged bottles or carrying it with us or having some of my uh, my staff meet us at moderate depths, like 90 meters to switch off some moderate depth. Yeah, yeah, moderate depth. Yeah, exactly. To switch off some of our, our decompression tanks. Um, but, you know, again, on my days off, I'd grab a scooter and just mask fins and snorkel and go blast around on the reef. And so I met this, uh, we had this Italian gentleman who was on vacation on his honeymoon. And he wanted to get his 30 meter apnea. That was really the first time I heard kind of free diving associated with apnea, thinking, well, sleep apnea. That's what we know it about, right? And he belonged to this club. And so, we needed to document so he could prove that he did a 30 meter breath hold dive. And so I wrote up one page of these protocols because I couldn't find anything at the time. And we helped him, you know, do this 30 meter thing. You know, we had divers staged every five meters. I mean, it was just crazy, you know, considering what we know now. Right. And this would have been in like 97. I um, and then, uh, and, and then Pepin Ferreris came down because we had all the equipment, we had the training, you know, we were doing 400 foot to 500 foot plus mixed gas dives at that point, scuba dives, so we could support a thing. So he came down and with his wife, Audrey, and they, he did a two breath record. She did a French national record, I think at the time. And so we supported that. And that was really my first kind of introduction into, I guess, the more formalized world of free diving, what it was back then, which was really just like Umberto Pelizzari and Pepin Ferreris, right? And then some other people. And um, he came back and we, we started to do some courses. He had a, a banner and a name for an association, but nothing else, no standards, nothing written down. So during a course he was teaching, I was taking notes on the computer and he was like, well, what are you going to do with all that? And I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, taking notes. And then the idea was, well, maybe you could write some manuals. So I wrote these, you know, the first really formalized standards and procedures for a whole educational system, right from snorkeler through advanced levels and specialties and this sort of thing. And then I wrote five different books and we produced some videos and we really formalized and became the IFD, the International Association of Freedivers, which we had in the Cayman Islands. And we formed this kind of partnership. And, um, you know, eventually it, it really didn't last. If you do business with them, it didn't. And, um, and by that time, I had then over the course of several years had trained uh, Tanya Streeter to a national record and then Brett LeMaster to a national record for the U.S. and then Tanya to a world record and then Brett to a world record. And so December of 99, I left Caymans, you know, realizing there was this opportunity in freediving because there was really nothing formalized. It was you want to learn freediving? Hey, come with me you know, watch me free dive and uh, let's not talk about blackout or anything like that. You know, don't ever admit you had a blackout. That's like admitting you had a venereal disease. Right. So, and I thought, how stupid is that? That, that should be the first thing we talk about is safety. Let's get that out of the way and get a system in place to be safe. And then we can work on technique. And then once we got technique figured out, once safety and technique are figured out, then performance will just naturally evolve from there. And so I left Cayman, 
kind of left that old system that I developed and completely rewrote a new system. So in January of 2000, I had formed Performance Freediving International with a complete new set of philosophy and standards and procedures, an educational system. Um, and, you know, here we are 20 years later. So a couple of years ago, uh, oh, just a little over a year, a year and a half ago, I, um, I joined uh, performance free diving with international training. So it's now part of TDI, SDI, ERDI, uh, first response. And, uh, and now they have PFI. So they're a complete diving educational system. They're really well known, obviously, in the, in the technical diving market yeah. and uh, have really strong recreational scuba system and all of that sort of thing. And now they have a really kind of complete, uh, very comprehensive and professional uh, free diving program. So there's a lot from, you know, yeah. January 2000 to now. And so, you know, the long and the short of it is really PFI was the first real educational system. We were the first to get insurance, professional liability insurance. In that time, I trained seven people to 23 world records, you know, dozens of people to hundreds of national records. Um, a lot of the things we see in freediving today, like counterbalance and actual recovery breathing or more specific hook breathing associated with recovery breathing. A lot of the initial uh, foundational rules within IDA uh, like surface protocols are things that I had developed at uh, in the early 2000s. When you say about hook breathing, because some people yeah. will be listening to this who won't know what you mean by that. Yeah. Can you simply just um, simply explain what that means yeah so in freediving the the most important breaths you're ever going to take in freediving aren't the ones you take beforehand they're the first six breaths you take when you get back to the surface because that's the point at which you're at critical hypoxia critical varying degree of lack of oxygen and there's six different ways we can black out three really associated to kind of oxygen and, and that sort of thing. And it can be because of hypoxia, varying degree of lack of oxygen. It can be because of a disruption of blood flow to the brain. Um, and, uh, and one can, because can happen because of an ascent to the surface where the lungs are re-expanding and you have a reversal of the transfer of oxygen where oxygen should be going from lungs into blood. Now partial pressures are inverted and now the lungs are sucking the oxygen that's in the venous blood coming back to be oxygenated. And it's actually pulling it out of the lungs because there's lower partial pressure in the lung. So, so I developed and Brett Lemaster and I developed this system of breathing called recovery breaths. Initially, it was during his uh, world record training. So we had done a 60 meter, 200 foot national record for him for the US. And then kind of a year later, we're training for this world record. And we're getting to this depth and he's getting to the surface and his lips are pink. So that's showing me he's got good blood flow to the brain, cerebral blood flow, right? You can see the oxygenated blood. And then within 10 seconds, his lips are going blue. And then he's having a loss of motor control, having motor control skills, sometimes blacking out. We're like, I'm telling him, I don't know what's going on, Brett. You're coming back with oxygenated blood. I see it. And then I see it leaving. And so we're like, well, who else experiences this? And we're like, well, fighter pilots, right? You know, they pull negative Gs, blood gets pulled away. And what do they do? Well, they do hook breathing. So they do, do, do this top of the breath uh, hold for three seconds. And then they bear down like they're sitting on the toilet. And so we tried it and it was like magic. 
and it worked. And so to really then bring that not just into a world record setting, but to bring it into a standardized system of education where every one of the instructors around the world and every student is going to know the same language and the same protocols, we really formalized it. And so a hook breath is, is a hold on a full breath where you don't bear down so much as you just relax the chest wall and let the natural chest elasticity kind of create the, an increased pressure. And you hold for three slow seconds and then you immediately exchange that breath, but never exhaling more than half your volume. Because the problem is, is as we, as I exhale too deep, which would be the natural response, right? After you've had a big, strong urge to breathe, you want to get it all out. And so what happens is you collapse the alveoli, which has the potential to open up the blood vessels surrounding the alveoli to overdilate. Because you have high CO2, your lungs have a propensity to want to dilate, to get oxygen into blood, get the most amount of blood oxygen um, and the CO2 out. And but what do you have a medical background then? Because that's quite a, an in-depth, um, what's the word, uh, evaluation to make, isn't it? Unless, right. If you don't have a medical background and you know, you're talking about things that we should, you know, for a lot of us, way over our heads. And Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, so for, unless you've got a medical background, how do you get to understand all that when and know what's going on? Because how did you suddenly go... Well, how, how do we know that the, uh, the jet pilots are having yeah. this as well? It's quite, you know, it's quite, a, quite a big comparison. Right, right. Um, well, I don't have a medical background. I don't have a formalized medical training. I'm a wilderness EMT and combat medical technician uh, and, you know, things like that. But no, um, for me, it was simply I looked at what I knew from diving physics and physiology yeah. And then I had to then relook at all of that stuff from a different focus. So in technical diving and scuba diving, it's really about partial pressures when we come yeah. down to it. I mean, you're, you're told always breathe, never, never hold your breath. So there's a little bit of lung expansion in there. But really what we're dealing with is bubble dynamics and all of those decompression aspects. Whereas free diving, it's about volumes. It's about compressing volumes. And I have different airspaces. I have this airspace up here, which is going to remain the same size. And then I've got this flexible airspace here, which has semi-rigid airspaces. And then I've got my gastrointestinal, which... You know, so I've got all these different airspaces and they, this has to be locked off from that one, especially when I'm upside down trying to equalize. So anyways, you had to, you have to know all this stuff. And, and what I had the advantage of is because I went through all this training and did this, these world records. I mean, we really dove into whatever medical um, papers we could get, um, you know, just get, just talk with a lot of doctors who were, who were in the know who had done some of the original studies or uh, Peter Lindholm, who was studying under Dr. Massimo um, at the time uh, in Boston and just kind of liaising with them. And, and what happened early on in, at the end of 2000, I was asked to be a part of and set up an advanced freediving research study at Simon Fraser University. So what I would do is I would take participants who'd be, who could be swimmers, snorkelers and scuba divers, but they couldn't be a freediver. And um, I would take them through a 12 week program. Like I'm going to try and get them on the national team. And the first six weeks is, is once a week in the classroom and pool, hour and a half classroom, two hour pool session. And then I give them homework 
The next six weeks, there's that plus an ocean session once a week. But before they come in, we take them to the kinesiology lab and we measure, you know, lung volumes and cerebral blood flow. And we put them through tilt tests to see how fast their sympathetic parasympathetic system does. And, and so I would be a part of that measuring and, and then we measure them post. And uh, I've just always kind of been fascinated by it. And there were things that we would come across in free diving that needed an answer. It need, there, there was a problem we need to solve. And so it's physiology and it's physics. So what do I know about it? Which will then lead me to who do I need to go ask? Yeah. What do I need to research more of? And then, in, and then honestly, just a lot of anecdotal, this just seems to work. I mean, we tried hook breathing and it worked. And Brett went on to, you know, add 20 some more meters onto his, onto his depth. And it just was a noticeable game changer. Yeah. Do you find your um, students or the people that you're training get into all the detail of like you've just spoken about, so they completely understand their bodies. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the things we like to do in the program, it would be easy just to say, do this and mm. not give any, you know, just trust me, just do it and it'll work, right? And maybe there's some people that do that, but we've really taken our educational system past just education when we've kind of brought it into a lot of entertainment as well. So there's a lot of backstory and there's a lot of entertainment as you're being taught. Um, and so the, the functionality of our educational system is this, is to, to give you the reasons why you're experiencing what you're experience, experiencing. Here's the, here's the solution for it. And here's why we're going to do the solution. And then it makes more sense. It, it, it really erases all the big question marks. Because if I'm out there to have fun, or if I'm really there to have an increase in my performance, my performance is only going to increase if I'm feeling comfortable and with knowledge comes comfort because you're, you understand, Oh, I'm feeling that because, Oh, this is happening. My lung volume has compressed beyond my total or my residual volume and my diaphragm's being stretched and that's firing off stretch receptors. And it's giving me an urge to breathe, but it's not real urge to breathe because it has nothing to do with oxygen and carbon dioxide. And, you know, so it answers all of those questions while you're on it. And that makes you more comfortable. And when you're more comfortable, you're more relaxed. Because again, free diving is about volumes compressing, right? And if you're tense, then your chest wall is super tight. You're not going to be relaxed and compressible. So that's why we do take it into, into a higher level of education so that you can really know what's going on. And then what's been a real game changer uh, with PFI um, joining with international training is now we have a pre-learning program. So we have an online learning system where, you know, you go through the videos and the pictures and you answer the quizzes and now you get to come to class and we don't have to teach you what an atmosphere of pressure is or why your lung volume is compressing at these different rates. You've got that basic information. Now we can really dive into the stories that help form a complete image as it's going to relate to you and your diving. Uh, and not spend time in class teaching you what an atmosphere is, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we've really made a game changer in our overall system of education, um, and you know, we're very proud of it. So do you see it still progressing so that you can get better at 
breath holds or getting more debt? Yeah. So our system of education starts right with snorkeler, goes to a free diver level, training someone in the 20 meter zone. And then we have an intermediate level. Actually, I'm, I'm showing these up, but really they're getting deeper, aren't they? Right. <laughs> so then there's the intermediate level, which is like to a maximum of 40 meters. Um, you don't have to do 40 meters, but that's the max we go to. There's, you know, that's a 25 meter program to, to know the knowledge and prove the ability to get the card. And then we have an advanced level program, which is 60 meters. And then something that I've been pioneering and developing is something called technical free diving that we've been using a lot. And now that's the introduction of oxygenated mixtures, which for some free divers is controversial. Uh, and some it's just like, you know, for, to them, free diving should be butt naked, no equipment at all, no swimsuit, no nothing, you know, that to them, that's the purest form of free diving. And I'm, and I'm like, listen, whatever, whatever the tool, whatever right tool for the job is. Now I'm a purist as far as, you know, just going out and loving the reef and enjoying it. But there's times when I'm filming, doing documentary work or movies, or, you know, we did a, technical scooter freediving trip to Truck Lagoon where we were on wrecks at 65 meters doing six minutes, 15 second breath hold times, not all at depth, but the total runtime yeah. and being able to shorten our surface intervals by upwards of 40, uh, 40% to get more of these dives in using scooters and using two mixes on the surface as decompression or preload mixes to then go and do. So, you know, there's a lot of things that free diving can be more than just go look at pretty fish on a reef or harvest something or competitively go up and down a line. Yeah. And can we take that a minute? So, so when you're on the surface with this mix, yeah. you're basically inhaling that in and getting and saturating your system with it before um, you go. Yeah, so this, the basics of technical freediving is this, is using an oxygenated mixture for a number of advantages. So uh, reduce decompression stress, right? Because we can get bent freediving, and I have been bent freediving neurologically uh, and done chamber treatments for neurological hits. So we do have one lung full of, of air and 79% of it's oxygen and our ascent and descent rates are fast. So we're working on fast tissue. So those are the tissues being affected, which tend to be more neurological. Um, and so less decompression stress, um, faster recovery times. Yeah. Um, we can reduce, theoretically, we can reduce surface intervals and that's still something we're kind of beta testing and it isn't a big proponent or yeah, that we're, you know, we're not saying use technical freediving to reduce your surface interval. Plan your surface intervals as if you're on air, but use nitrox as to be that advantage, right? Um, when uh, we were the first people to employ technical freediving for our safety freedivers. So I run a competition called Deja Blue every, well, almost every May, except in these new times we're in now, right? Um, and, and I would have my safety freedivers uh, using a standard nitrox mix of 32%. So they're running their dives and figuring out when they're going to leave the surface to meet the diver and all of that sort of stuff and what depth they should meet at. Um, but they're planning it as if they were just on air, but really they've got 32% in their lungs in their back pocket. So they'll tell you that at the end of a week of hundreds and hundreds of free dives that they don't feel near as wiped out because yeah. they've, you know, look at professional sport athletes come off the field and 
you see it in football, American football all the time. They put an O2 math. Um, And so that's all those advantages. So what we would do in its, in its, in its like most technical element, like we did in truck lagoon is I would have an 80% mix. And then if we're on a wreck, let's say in 40 meters, I might have a 32% mix. So I come up from my dive and there was three of us, myself, Chris Bustad and John Halverson instructors of ours. Uh, Chris is now the subject matter expert at PFI with, uh, with ITI. And um, we would, I'd come up, I'd immediately go on an 80% mix while Chris would be my dedicated safety. So he's got to watch me for no less than 30 seconds, right? After 30 seconds, if my lips have turned pink again and I've got oxygen flow and I'm showing cognitive ability and I'm showing motor control and I'm not shaky, um, then after 30 seconds, I'm good. But as soon as I hit the surface, John starts his dive and we just get into this rotation. So then at some point I've been on my 80% mix, I'm calculating for my depth and time I just did what my surface interval should be. Then I'm taking a calculation because I'm using 80%. Now I'm going to knock off some of my surface time. So once I get to that time, then I go for my 80% and then I go to my 32% mix but I confirm and we do a switch. So it's confirmed with my buddy that I've done a gas switch because the last thing I want to do is forget that I'm still on 80 and head down to 40 meters, right? Which would be a bad thing. So for maybe the audience members who aren't nitrox certified, oxygen under partial pressures that are high enough can be toxic to your central system, causing convulsions at the worst case. So I confirm that I've made this switch to a low mix And then when my time comes up and the other guys are back on the surface and I can go, I start my dive again. And we just do this waltz between mixes and safety and going from diver to safety to on deck, breathing up to go again. And then you've got, you know, dive extra piranha scooter and there's no work to get down. (laughs) There's no work to get back up. You got to be careful on your ascent rates on the way to the surface. So we gear down in the last portions to go nice and slow because ascent rates especially with a scooter can be too. Those last few meters are important aren't they? Yeah absolutely absolutely so that would be kind of technical freediving at its you know in some ways at its most technical or most fun and adventurous but it has a high degree of risk and so there's an educational system to it and there's protocols and procedures and there's knowledge you need to know to really go up and have fun and do it safely and, and use it for the right tool for the job. So on Avatar, we've been using uh, technical freediving protocols. Before I started going to New Zealand, we logged over 250,000 breath hold dives wow. using oh. technical freediving incident free. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's a good record. Very clean record. Yeah. You know, so how do you approach, you know, I know you just mentioned Avatar and we'll get to Avatar, sure. but how do you approach, um, so when you got when you get called in to help and advise on certain films and uh, shows, you know you've helped David Blaine, you've helped Tom Cruise. How do you when these people are complete maybe novices? How do you then approach them? And because you haven't got the time to go through the courses, yeah. How how do you approach that? Do you approach them any differently? Well, I do actually have the time to go through the courses, so you I do. take them through. I do I do take them through a course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Tom and I were two and a half months wow. training and learning, um, you know, not every day, <laughs> you know, sometimes once a week for half an hour, if I was lucky, 
Um, but that's why they bring me in for that amount of time. Because here's the thing about free diving, right? As opposed to scuba diving. Let's say, um, let's say you were the same person and I could just put a USB in you and download all the theoretical knowledge and you would right. know it like that, right? And we could go into the pool. I could show you as a scuba diver, here's how you get your reg. You practice it once. You'll always have it. You, you don't need to do it again. There's no reason why in one day you couldn't be doing hundred meter trimix. Mm. Right. Okay. I mean, your ability to retain and repeat knowledge was yeah. at, at a flow state. Now yeah. let's took, look, let's look at the free diver. Same thing. Plug all the academic knowledge in show a perfect entry. Here's how you equalize. Fantastic. But the physiology still isn't adapted. So the physiology in free diving is a repetitive volume thing that I need to train the heart rate to slow down the bradycardic system. I need to train the extremities to constrict blood vessels and the core, the thoracic area to dilate blood vessels. I need to train the spleen to shrink by 20% to push more red blood cells in. And that's only going to happen through volume of dives. It's not technique. Technique does help a bit when you're trying to equalize, you know, there's certain things we know technique wise that we didn't know 10, 15 years ago that have been game changers, but really it's now about the adaptation that process of the body. So what we're really good at with our educational system is knowing the, the modifications and manipulations of the physiology to induce certain adaptive responses yeah. uh, and changes in your physiology, other than you just being a, a healthy individual. Do you find they need to be kind of peak fit, fitness um, to kind of take this all on board? Um, it, well, n ap no. So if we're talking about a regular course and just regular mm. customers, we have them all shapes and sizes, and, you know, genders and races and abilities and non-abilities. Um, we actually even have, we're the first to develop an adaptive freediving program for people with learning, cognitive, physical yeah. disabilities. Um, so everyone should be able to enjoy the underwater world in some form and fashion, right? Which was really the reason why we developed an adaptive, but, um, do you have to be the perfect <laughs> physical specimen? I mean, you could be Michael Phelps, right? I mean, just lungs with a heart hanging off and shoulders. Yeah. Um, but if you're afraid of the ocean and yeah. you never want to get into the ocean cause you're a pool person, doesn't matter how you're peak physical shape is, if your psychology isn't there, it doesn't matter. So really what we want is a person who's in, who's healthy. First off, you have to be healthy because it is a marine environment. It's a diving environment. There's cardiovascular stressors and things, you know, just uh, imagine as soon as you're in the water, your lung, you know, your, your blood pressure and your blood distribution changes and all of these things that we know through immersion diuresis, the P reflex. Um, so you have to be just a, a healthy person. Then from there, we can all change and adapt because genetically we are born of the ocean. I mean, for millions of years, we've been evolving out of the ocean. So yeah. you've ever heard of the idea that antogeny recapitulates phylogeny. So that means from conception to when you're born. Think about that every day, you know. You, you mimic you mimic evolution, right? There's a point where in that, in that evolution, in that development in, in, uh, you know, fetal that you have gills yeah. <laughs> and some people still have them and they're called nubules under the skin. Right. So, so we're born of the oceans and our body has this ability to adapt to an extreme environment. And that extreme environment for us is the hypoxia or the hypercapnia 
right? The change of those two gases. And it's the compression on the air and how that changes cardio, pulmonary, you know, all these different things. And so our body's really good at adapting, amazingly good at adapting that, you know, we're self-powering down to 130 meters now. And just like 15 years ago, you had to ride a sled yeah. down and back up, but now we self-power to it. You know, we have breath holds of, uh, I think officially it's still 1135, although national records are sometimes over 12 minutes breath hold and hardly any brain damage at all from them. Hardly any. But <laughs> um, bump, yeah. <laughs> there was a famous study, I don't know, I think it was in this country where they um, tested brand new, new babies just born. And yeah in water and they found that they were absolutely at home in the water Just yeah absolutely yeah. They breathe the lot you know yeah i mean water water births are an amazing thing and uh yeah the baby can be born still have the umbilical and be underwater working off the umbilical like a commercial diver <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> Just, just, just come out of the uh, saturation habitat and <laughs> kind of hanging around, and then yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very natural form. I mean, we are, you know, we are originally a water animal. That's how we would have been born at some point. Yeah, and you, when you think about that, and we treat the ocean so badly. Oh, we're horrible with it. Yeah, oh, it's like the lifeblood of the planet. We're just like throwing all this crap into it. I mean. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's a number of things. And uh, so, you know, part of, if you read part of my history, we were part of the Cove. We helped uncover the slaughter of dolphins in Japan and I was part of racing. And, and those led me to have a, a really larger appreciation for the environmental impacts and things that were mm -hmm. going. And, you know, besides global climate change, you know, maybe the bigger thing is the biodiversity tragedy that we are undergoing, that we're losing species faster than some of the mass extinctions that happened, you know, millions of years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, these are all climate change and, and biodiversity are game changers. And the ocean, it's 73% of our planet. And we know more sometimes about the other planets than we do about the bottom of our ocean. And is that real? Isn't it? But don't you think it's good? Didn't you like that? Because I, I, I like that. I, I like that the fact that there's still mysteries on our yeah, absolutely, right? My, my, it's funny because my dad always says, you know, when he was a kid growing up reading books, there was deepest, darkest jungles of Africa that we still hadn't really explored. You, you know, the local indigenous population explored them, but, you know, it wasn't the rest of the world that was still a mystery. And now we know everything about land. We've been everywhere, uh, which is the problem, isn't it? Because we're going into areas that were not ever reached by people before. And now we're, you know bringing those diseases out with us, Ebola, COVID, more than likely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, and now the oceans, I mean, it, it's, yeah. You know, when you think that 70% of the world's protein comes from the ocean and that we're, you know, we say we harvest the ocean, but that usually implies you put back in, right? And we're not, we're just raping and pillaging it. And yeah. uh, it's the tragedy of the commons because there's in, in international waters, there's, I got to get mine before everyone else gets theirs. Yeah. yeah. Pretty. Yeah. So, so let's talk Avatar 2. All okay. Right. You've been a, a, a player on that with helping this guest. And um, I was watching uh, a small clip 
from Stephen Colbert and he had Kate Winslet on who credited yeah. you for yeah. helping her get from uh, just a few seconds right through to holding a breath. I think it's seven minutes, 14 or something like that. It was over seven yeah, minutes. Yeah, I forget the exact. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I tend not to remember the specific numbers. <laughs> but I, te- I, I tell you, it's a brilliant thing for somebody to be able to do that. And, yeah. you know, it, it's not natural for any of us being underwater. And uh, we had a go eight months ago uh, on this podcast of doing a bit of filming underwater just in our local pool and how difficult that was. It was unreal, you know, yeah. and um, to I just can't imagine how difficult that was and how she got over that. So can you talk us through how you approached that and, you know, what was involved and a little bit about, can, are you able to tell us a little bit? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of non-disclosure. There's like that thick of non-disclosure agreements yeah. that I've had to sign. So I can give you some generalities and some yeah. things that I've already, you know, that uh, James Cameron and John Landau have kind of put out uh, that are public knowledge out there. So first yeah. off, yeah, we've been shooting uh, two and three. And number two is a, a water-based movie. I mean, if you've seen, who has not seen Avatar first off? Uh, so we've been, in the first Avatar, we've seen the forest Navi and the plains Navi and the mountain Navi. Well, now you're going to see the ocean. And they're the Metakain, they're, they're called. And, um, and so the, the cool thing about is we're going to see James Cameron's vision of what Pandora looks at, like underwater. Now, I can't tell you anything other than it's mind blowing, okay. right? Um, and, you know, the thing about James Cameron, this there's a guy who is a water person at heart. He considers himself a free diver first and foremost at heart. And yet he's gone to the deepest parts of the ocean and he's done all these amazing uh, you know, uh, documentaries underwater and, and some of his stories when you get to hear them are just incredible. So just, uh, I'm so excited to be able to see too, because it is the most significant diving movie ever made hands down. Um, it just takes place in the future on another planet with these Metakayine, uh Navi, but we shot it wet for wet, which means everything you see underwater happened underwater and in breath hold. This isn't Aquaman. We're not hanging from ropes with fans in our hair trying to make it look like we're underwater. So when you see Sigourney Weaver, Kate Winslet, Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, you know, Stephen Lang, and and then seven kids. I had seven kids that were from six to 16 years old that I had to train as well. Um, And it's really this story about a family that's, you know, in peril and at the ocean. And so, yeah, go ahead. What, was it just yourself training them or were you like the I, head of the trainers who were teaching them? Yeah, I was the head person. And it was, it was for the most part me. And then I had some other people within the stunt department who got brought onto stunts and were instructors of mine that I would then kind of key in when I had larger groups and they'd come and help. But it was my job to basically train cast and crew and breath hold. Uh, the camera people, the grips, everyone, because we're shooting what's called performance capture. So they're wearing wetsuits with reflective dots and the camera is ringed with camera. And so um, you couldn't have a bubble in the water because the the reflection off off the bubble would mess up the cameras, right? So you couldn't have the people behind the camera blowing bubbles on scuba or bubbling away because it would mess up the whole capture system. So in the water, we're looking at blocks, you know, and 
piping and things like that. But when you look on the flat screen, you see Pandora underwater. I'm looking at Sigourney Weaver, you know, in her dotted suit, but on there's her character uh, underwater. So yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. And so they did it. So, you know, the, the train, what Avatar did was they are living in the real physics of the world. So this is, Avatar is in our, is in our reality, right? It's just mm -hmm. in our future. And so all the real world physics and science apply here. So the thing that James Cameron uh, is, and this is what just is going to blow us all away about this, is the real physics had to apply. That when you saw someone swimming, it wasn't some computer guy's idea of what a breaststroke would look like. You know, like if you look at animation and you watch a character walking, as best as they try, you still, like if you, you Not could tell yeah, it's, there's subtleties that you just know. So everything we did was underwater, all that breaststroking and, you know, all the diving and all that sort of thing. So you're going to look at it, quality and resolution and just the textures and everything they brought it to. And then the real swimming, you're just going to feel like every diver in the water in the audience is going to wet them. They're just going to get it. Um, and then the audience who's the non-divers will look at it and still get it because it's in the real physics of the real world, uh, yeah. that we did it. So, so yeah, I mean, we had this time where, uh, Sigourney was doing this scene and a really active scene, like she's not just kneeling on the bottom and, you know, holding her breath. She is working hard for over two and a half minutes on this scene underwater. Wow. Um, and so what Avatar did, just to get back to my point <laughs> a little bit ago, was that they were really good in saying, okay, here's the cast, they need to be water people. So what do we need to do, Kirk? And you know, it was what was supposed to be a two month gig for me is now going on over three and a half years. <laughs> and so just training them. And some of them were supposed to be like, really like born and live in the water for the most part, you know, they are, that's their, that's their thing. And so I had to take them to like a very developed level. And then other people were just supposed to be their first times in water. So I had to give them skill, but I couldn't have them too polished and looking good. But my job was to make sure that the breath hold aspect of it could be in the background. It's like driving a car. The first time you're driving a car, you're aware of where your hands are and your foot's on the accelerator and you're aware of everything. And now we can drive a car, we can text and drink a coffee at the same time, right? Uh, you don't even think about driving. So that was the whole idea with what I had to do on Avatar was the breath hold and the protocols of how we prepare and breathe and, and, and that language and all the skills and all of that stuff. That just had to be background so that their first foremost job was being able to act and get into the scene and the character. Yeah. So that takes, uh, you know, that takes uh, knowledge. So I take them through the PFI programs, intermediate level programs, and then we would do stuff in, a, in our purpose built. You know, we really were lucky. We got to go to Hawaii at one point and have an in-water animals and corals and the ocean and get a little bit more depth in. And uh, so, yeah, they have spared no expense to make this the most immersive, realistic, living in this world uh, interpretation of what Jim looks at Pandora and that, that story arc will be for a water. The yeah, water movie. Ask of, of the um, actresses and act actors 
uh, of the film because you know you've got the pressure of acting you've got the pressure of you know being committed to and you then got to learn these new underwater skills which yeah you know probably some people are probably um took to really well some of them need to probably be more handheld in and uh or hand holding i should say and you know it must in their minds that might they i can just imagine just trying to put myself in their place how hard that must have been because they must have think blimey you know I'm, am i going to be able to do this and yeah. get through it that must be really i mean difficult. well largely um out of the principal cast you know some of them like were okay well that was fun you know i've got what i need to get yeah. my job done right and then uh others were like sigourney was just we could not get enough training time in you know she loved it you know i was supposed to be getting out Good. of the water on my lunch break and but that's the only time sigourney could train so you know <laughs> over my lunch break we would train in the tank uh, she just, and she was so great at it. And then Kate loved it as well. And um, so, but it's interesting. So some of the kids, Bailey, um, you know, in the beginning, she was like, oh, I, you know, she got cast and she was like, okay, you know, are we done yet? Has our session finished yet? And, um, and then there was this one time when we were training and she was under the water and we had gauges for them and she was doing her thing and she looked at her gauge and she, like, she didn't realize how long she was under there. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of came to the surface and, you know, everything's safe, safety protocols and recovery right. breathing and all that. And, and I said, okay, we got to start finishing up. And she was like, oh, do we have to get out yet? And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, there was the transformational change from like, oh, you know, this is okay. But uh, to like, then she just could not get enough of it uh, as well. It ignited that fire. What's that? Sorry. Good that it ignited that fire. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, no, it was, it was really good. And all the cast just really embraced it and had fun and did amazing with it. And, and some of them are just like really love the skills and the, and the learning progress uh, or progression for it. And, uh, and then, you know, it just helped them yeah. get into this, get into this character and, and you will see that on screen, you know, you will see a water person because they became a water person. Yeah. Uh, and so that now they're just, they're in their character as that water yeah. person. The film would be much better for it as well. They're, they're, they're actually doing a prop, not just all CGI, you yeah. know, where you, you know, it never looked quite as good. And I think from, um, I can't remember who we were talking to, Gemma, but somebody else was talk, talking to us about Avatar and about James Cameron wanted to use this film to sort of really highlight uh, some of the issues of, you know, what's going on with our oceans and how we're treating it and pollution and bring all these things to bear, really. And yeah, there's, there's using Hollywood to sort of really bring it right up to world's attention. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it's just going to be an amazing ride, an adventure yeah. and entertainment, and we're going to be blown away. But there are these subtle lessons that, you know, we get to learn that, that parallel what we're going through right now because yeah. again this is our it's our world it's just into the future so it's kind of a look at what our future could be like so do you think it will uh increase the interest in free diving and oh. scuba diving it could be like a game changer for the industry as well couldn't it you're you're 100 right it will absolutely be a game changer i mean mm -hmm you know it will hopefully spark a whole new generation of divers 
you yeah. know, ki kids who are just like, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and so just like, you know, uh, at the DEMA trade show, um, when I started performance freediving 20 years ago, I'd been going to the DEMA show and saying, listen, freediving is the game changer for the diving industry. Because the diving industry, you know, hasn't changed that much in some ways. I mean, technical yeah. diving was the game changer, right? Um, but, I, you know, I've always said that freediving is to scuba what snowboarding was to skiing. It was the thing that revitalized the, the ski industry. And you're seeing that now when you look at the demographic of freedivers and, and uh, the participation in it is massive massive and there will be the there'll be the after knock-on effects of free divers like uh you know i'm getting older i really love free diving but let's give this scuba thing a try because mm -hmm. i really love i really love being in the water yeah. and uh and so yeah the overall effect in the diving industry is game changing from free diving and then avatar for diving in general i think will be a game changer yeah. yeah so for the people who um, are coming about this new and fresh yeah. and uh, never free dive before where would you what advice would you give them if anyone is now thinking about and they could be anywhere in the world let's face it uh you know if they've not done it before they, they're interested in free diving what advice yeah. would you well that it's an amazing sport there's a longevity there's a lifetime in it it's got yoga it's got mindfulness it's got health benefits it's lifestyle um, it's relatively simple to get into, you know, as far as equipment goes, but there are risks with it and you need to know what those risks are and to really have fun in it, you, you need to learn properly. And so find a, find a instructor, uh, from a reputable agency and, uh, and take a course and it will be so worth the investment just to, to, to really understand the full potential that you have within it and, and how to enjoy it. And then you get to find that local community. Uh, it yeah. doesn't matter where you are, no, no tanks um, in uh, the UK and, you know, all of those instructors there, um, Emma Farrell and a bunch like that. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's just a really good community throughout the world of, of great instructors out there. And, uh, they can really kind of help you experience what uh, what this amazing thing is. Oh, that's brilliant. So you've mentioned uh, already quite a few, some of the top diving locations in the world, like Truck Lagoon. Um, and, you know, where have you got anything on your bucket list, which is like your place that you really want to go to and dive and explore that you haven't been able to yet? Um, yeah, that's a really good question because... I mean, in 20 years, I've been to a lot of places, but Antarctica, I got to I got to go free dive Antarctica at some point, right? Get my 30 mil wetsuit on. <laughs> no. um, yeah, I had an instructor, Jesse Liu, who uh, was there. Uh, I'd love to do that. Um, yeah, uh, Bikini Atoll. Uh, I'd love to free dive Bikini, you know, just like truck, a technical mm -hmm. scooter free dive that area. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, there's just so much to, to see and do. I mean, I've been really fortunate and dove, you know, throughout the whole of the Pacific and the Caribbean and been down to Brazil and taught in Norway and the UK, you know, Middle East and stuff like that. Uh, Wakatobi, 
uh, resort in Indonesia just blew me away with the corals and the life there. It's like the rest of the world was 50 years ago. So it kind of all depends on the style of free diving and what I'm doing. Depending yeah. on, it depends on where I want to go, right? Yeah. yeah. So where have you dived in the UK? Um, so uh, I've done the set tank. So the submarine escape tower that was oh, in Plymouth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Um, I've never actually been in the waters. <laughs> 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 so I've, I've dove the UK, but I've dove in a 30 meter deep pool, which yeah. unfortunately I don't think anyone gets to dive anymore. I think it was around 2002 oh, yeah. or three. Howard Jones of Diver Magazine brought me in, uh, or Free Diver Magazine brought me in, and I did a little half-day clinic for the UK yeah. team at the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. So when you've been underwater, have you had any kind of marine animal experiences, or have you got any marine animal you'd like to see that haven't? Um, so when we were filming The Cove, we were in the Bahamas, and um, we were trying to get this experience with dolphins, and... Um, and so we were cruising along and a couple of dolphins. So we were being pulled behind a boat, right? And we're just, we're breath hold and we're just kind of coming up and going down and cruising along. And all of a sudden these four dolphins come up and they're right beside us. And so I had a camera and I was filming Mandy at the time. And so I said, let's jump off. So we let go of the boat and right away, two dolphins took off and this, these other two were just hanging around. And uh, eventually this one dolphin stayed, but it had found a piece of plastic in the water and it was bringing it up to Mandy and it was like showing it to her and playing with it. Like, Oh, look, I can have it on my nose and Oh, I've got it on my fan. And, you know, it, and it, and it just, it interacted. I, actually, let me back up. We were cruising along and it went belly up to her right close. And so it took off again and was swimming around and then it went belly up like that. And Mandy didn't touch it, but she put her hand out like that and it moved onto Mandy's hand. It was at that point that it initiated the interaction, right? So yeah. we didn't touch it. It moved on to us. So yeah. at that point we said, let's jump off. So then we jumped off and it, we had this 45 minute interaction that brought Mandy and I to tears when we got out of the water later, because it was this, it was this interaction of this animal on its terms that it wanted with us. And it wasn't us chasing it. Yeah. And it was, and, and the sad thing about it was here it is this toy and it's this human garbage, you know, it's this piece of plastic that's choking our oceans and it's playing with it like a toy. You know, I, yeah. And you can't help but anthropomorphize that. It's like saying, oh, look at my toy. <laughs> you want it back? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. And then, you know, some of the more tragic stuff we've seen as 73 dolphins get slaughtered in Taiji, Japan, because they kind of consider them a pest. And then, you know, we've had mantas and orcas locally and, I mean, giant Pacific octopus and just humpbacks. And I did, I uh, filmed blue whales. I mean, I could have poked a blue whale in the eyeball and the eyeball's this big and it's just like <laughs> hey, looking, at, looking at, oh yeah. I mean, you know, the heart's like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle and we're on, I'm on scooter, like, you know, filming it, going as fast as I can and it's not even moving. It's not even, yeah. it's not even doing anything. And it's, you know, it's all I can do to keep up with the thing. And, you know, I'm right beside and it's looking me up and down quizzically. Like, what you doing? Yeah. Actually, I had this really good experience with a mother calf in Tonga shooting for um, racing extinction. And um, 
we had a 3D camera and it was overheating. So every once in a while, I'd have to give it out of the water and I take a little Subal Canon 5D with a fish eye and, and I'm down at like 10 meters and I've got this mother calf. So the mother's there and the calf's underneath because they're buoyant. So the calf goes under mom's chin and mom holds it down there and they're hanging out. And, you know, I'm about 15 meters away and I'm slowly moving in, slowly moving in and I'm framing from the back and I'm moving in. I'm thinking, oh, this composition is amazing. And, oh, I've got this. This is so good. This is so good. And all of a sudden I heard, and I, I looked up and there was mom's eye. Like I could have poked her in the eye <laughs> and I slowly swam back and, you know, and basically there I am moving in on her the whole time. And eventually she says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> you know, do you mind <laughs> slowly swim back? Sorry, mom, you know, and then the calf, it was, it was almost white, like completely white. So it was like within a week of being old. Um, and I'd never meant to get that close. I just, you know, forgot I was on a fisheye lens. And so I backed up and then the calf was like around me and like coming up right, right beside me and doing all the big whale moves that they have to learn and do so they can make the lower fifties on the way to Antarctica where the, you know, oceans are going to be 15 meters, uh, mm -hmm. tall. And, um, uh, and then after the calf would get just a little too rambunctious, mom would and the calf would come right down under mom's chin and then slowly would come up. And then, you know, so that was pretty powerful. Nice. I was a new, I was a new dad at the time too. So seeing the mom, like take the little calf and on the nose and roll it down her back and then the calf kind of fall off and like, Oh, that was fun. Let's do it again. I was like, Oh my God, that's me and my daughter, you know? Yeah. So it was uh, pretty special. So um, talking special then, um, have you got three people who you would like to take in the water who maybe haven't done um, and you'd want to experience or get them to experience what it's like to be a free diver? Uh, could be anyone from history, can be anyone from pa uh, past or present, you know, doesn't matter. Hmm. I think an influential political leader that could really appreciate the oceans and the peril that they're and what we need to do. Yeah. So I hate, I, say, I hate to say Joe Biden necessarily, but you know, probably the person that has the most power of levers to be able to pull and make change and influence oh, yeah. would, would be one for sure. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's so many, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't think. I can't think of anything really offhand. What, what are some of the ideas you've got? Choose family. What, what do you think? Some people choose family. Some people choose... Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's been a popular one, hasn't it? David Attenborough has been another yeah. popular one. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 All of those would be... Uh, would Trump be good. for a swim. What's that? Take Mr. Trump for a swim. That'd be good for oh, him. Oh, I'd love to show him some breath hold. Yes. Yeah, that'd be yes, good. I have some really good techniques to get maximum times, you know, just gentle <laughs> pressure on the back of that. Um, no, it's not a political show, but I think it'd be good for him to see. Yeah. yeah. No, no, absolutely. I, you know, again, it's those, it's those, first off, you have to be open and willing to yeah. accept new ideas and the idea of, uh, you know, being in the ocean, seeing what you're seeing and appreciating it, because there's some people you just can't get through to. It's lost. Right? Yeah. It might be might be a, a waste of an art. Exactly. Yeah. So if you've got any piece of equipment that you take down underwater that you can't do without or that is your favorite piece of equipment? Um, hmm. 
I have a very specific neck weight. So in free diving, we have weight belts, but we also have neck weights because it's about trim and balance. And so I've got this one that's really kind of designed for me and fits perfect. And it's just the exact amount of weight oh, that I need. Um, so it uh, depends on what I'm doing. Anywhere from, I'll talk to you in pounds, in about four to six pounds. Okay. Yeah. Probably yeah. So, two Yeah. Yeah. Pounds is cute. But um, yeah, Oceaner makes me a wetsuit that's custom to my body. And so the first thing I tell a person, they want to get into freediving right away. They're like the long blade fins because that's iconic in freediving. And then there's low volume masks. But the thing I tell them is, listen, get yourself a good wetsuit. Like a surf suit is not going to cut it. A scuba suit is not going to cut it. You know, get yourself a good free dive suit, attached hood, Yamamoto, stretchy materials, because it is that thing that is, it's going to keep you warm because your first shiver you get, your resting oxygen consumption goes up 500%. You're not doing anything, but every muscle fiber in your body is trying to generate heat, yeah. right? And oxygen, every molecule of oxygen is important to us. Um, and then flexibility. I've got to be able to take that biggest breath in. Now, just floating at the collarbone, my lung volume's already reduced. I only have 70% of my lung volume. Now you want to wrap rubber on me, three to seven millimeters of it. So I want to have that open cell material and a really three-way flex um, nylon outer portion to it. And I want a specific cut in a free dive suit because I'm really hands over my head a lot. So you know, there's all these things in a, in a free dive suit that uh, I tell people, first thing, get yourself a really good wetsuit. It's going to help you breathe and it's going to keep you warm and you're not going to be restricted in your flexibility that a scuba suit with a, a zipper and all that stuff. With your experience, do you ever get called in uh, for advice for companies when they are looking at new wetsuits and they're thinking, right, you know, uh, we want to bring a new wetsuit out. We want to look at the technology involved in wetsuits to keep people warm and safe when they're doing these dives. Do you ever get involved? Do you ever get called in to help? Uh, yeah, well, Oceaner is a good example, right? They didn't have a free dive suit, and it was me going to them saying, you guys need a free dive suit. And yeah. so we collaborated on this is the material, this is the cut, this is what we need. And, and now they are the de facto, you know, one of the de facto, especially in the competitive world, because they offer like custom screening. So everyone gets their custom colors and their custom screens on their suits. So they're willing to do that, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I, do a, I do a lot of little different consultations on computers and fins and all this sort of stuff. Um, I haven't over the last while because, you know, Avatar is a five to six day a week job in my wetsuit, 12 to 16 hours a day, sometimes not getting out of the water. So don't eat asparagus at lunch because you're in your wetsuit for the next eight hours without a break. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, that's been all consuming. So really with with PFI, I'm so lucky that ITI uh, became a partner in it because it really allowed me to hand it off to a real customer service oriented company that uh, kind of handle it while I was all consumed, being all consumed on Avatar. So, but, I, but I am finding myself with some months of time here. So if any companies out there want a consultation, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing. So what do you like to, after you had a really good dive, what do you like to ha sit down and relax to and have a, 
do you like do you like curry? Do, is there a certain meal that you like? Uh, you know, what's the after dive meal or drink that you like? I like to rehydrate with very specific uh, sports drinks. For example, yeah. like pale ales are really good. Okay. Uh, Guinness, yeah, that's a good uh, recovery drink. I find. Um, Do they know sports recovery drinks? No, I'm not. Do they know? <laughs> yeah, well, they should. I mean, wasn't it in the Tour de France? That's you know, the cyclists would stop and have a beer because that was their <laughs> recovery drink. Um, yeah, no, after yeah, after a dive. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not too picky. I just like to eat healthy. Sometimes, you know. Wings and a beer are kind of nice too. So you know, it's all about it's all about balance in life. It right? is can't yeah. can't be too healthy. I mean, you know, you got to have a little good with the bad. Got to keep things. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, my body's my body's my temple, but sometimes the liver has to be punished a little bit, right, Stephen? <laughs> Stephen Whalen in there. Okay. I remember that. I like that. It's good. Yeah. So if. You had a billboard that you could hold yeah. up underwater or out of the water and you could put something on it to all, all the billions around the world. What would you yeah. put on it? It could be a statement, a picture. Um, the oceans are the blood of the world. Let's take care of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you notice a difference in the oceans you've been in from, you know, sort of 20 years ago to now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I've been going to the Cayman Islands and uh, in, they're no particular worse than anywhere else in the world. It's just I've been going there since, you know, 89. And, uh, you know, you see it. It's noticeable. If you've been in the waters that long, you and you keep going back to those same dive sites, you see there's less life. The corals and the plants and everything are under pressure. Um, there's nowhere you can't go in the world. Like, you know, I think the, the last group that was back to the Marianas Trench, Challenger Deep, found a Coke. You know, yeah. it's just like we have polluted it, it just immensely. Um, you know, we have more man-made biomass in the oceans now than we have actually ocean life at this point. Mm -hmm. So that biodiversity loss is definitely a, a, a big thing. Right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's noticeable and it's scary noticeable. Yeah. You know, I've gone to the first time I went to Tonga, I was like, all right, that's like, let's see some of the stuff. And then you get there and you're like, where's all the fish? Like, uh, you know, like they're there, but you know, you're expecting like South Pacific from what you saw uh, on programs. And, and sometimes we do a disservice on document because it shows us just the best, mm. you know, planet earth and, you know, the blue planet. And there's all these amazing things. And, you know, imagine the time they put in to get to find that one spot, which was what the whole world was like 100 years ago. And now we focus in on that one spot and it leads the viewer to believe that, oh, my God, look how amazing the ocean is when it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that one spot, that one drop in the whole bucket of water is all we're seeing the rest of, you know, like bluefin tuna fleets. Did you, I always thought this was amazing. Um, um, the Cove, the Cove won uh, Sundance, but the film that I, if we hadn't won, that should have won. Uh, it was uh, based on a UK author at the end of the line about overfishing, right? Mm -hmm. Over exploitation of the oceans. And they were talking about bluefin tuna fleet nets that they're so big, they could fit 13 747s. And now imagine 30 boats 
all lined up, remote sensing, being able to see where the biggest mass of the tuna are in these 30 boats, each able to have all those 747s just come in and like scoop it all up. So yeah, we've won. We've won the war on nature and harvesting. Like fish do not have a chance, oh, especially good. when it comes down to the tragedy of the comets and we're in the big oceans and pirate fishing and all of those sorts of things. And like I say, you know, 70% of the world's population's main source of protein is on oceans. And we are at risk of middle century having a collapse of commercial fish globally. I mean, we might be going to war over protein. So yeah, I hate to like bring a downer, but you know, that is the state of our oceans. Around. Well, it's reality, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, we, you got, you can't just talk about all the, the, the niceties and things like that yeah. and just ignore all the other stuff yeah. as well. It all has yeah. to be discussed. So yeah, there's no problem with that at all. You know, for anyone who is uh, new to you um, and they want to find out more about yourself and the things that you do and maybe free diving, um, where are they best to go to to keep up to date and uh, to follow you? Do you know, I believe you've got a website. Yeah, yeah. So there's performancefreediving.com and performancefreedivingacademy.com. So those are good places. You know, Performance Free Diving International has a Facebook page. I also have a Facebook page. So I'm somewhat selective on, on that. I just don't <laughs> open it up to... Just because you have water in your picture doesn't mean I'm friending you. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's how people can keep up with uh, kind of okay. what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm kind of in the dark for the past three and a half years because I've been hiding in a tank in a soundstage for Avatar. So yeah, people might think, oh, where did Kirk go, right? But uh, <laughs> I'm still free diving. I'm free diving more than I've ever freed over in my life. I mean, yeah, one, one day, uh, Chris Dennison and I, one of the stunt divers, we logged in over three and a half hours of breath hold underwater yeah. on one day on Avatar. Wow. So, yeah. um, you know, in a 12 hour day, like Sorry. a quarter of our day was spent <laughs> holding our breath <laughs> to give you an idea of some of the stuff we're, we're pulling on Avatar at this point. So it's a lot of fun. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, damn. <laughs> no wonder no wonder i'm feeling taxed huh? so have you got any questions for us um at all yeah i mean so um so how long have you guys been doing this the podcast we started podcast. in february okay yeah. that's excellent yeah i like that and uh so what's your favorite type of diving well I'm you don't have to say free diving <laughs> i'm okay with that just i want you to be honest what's your favorite type of diving I'm a new diver. I've only locked 18 dives. So because of the way this year has been, it's been yeah. getting the water. But hearing about free diving, I'd love to try it to support the scuba side as well, because obviously it's very new. And, you know, it's great cross training for scuba, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. that's me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm the same. I think, um, I think uh, if I was totally honest, yeah, I love scuba diving. Uh, yeah. I haven't done much on the free diving at all, apart from a bit of snorkeling, really. Yeah. Uh, and it'd be really good to, and some of the photos, you see some some of the uh, photos people take when they're free diving, it's just yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. To have a chance to take something that's half decent, free diving would be really great and learn some of the, the basics and the uh, techniques would be awesome, you know, so... Yeah. Um, that'd be that's definitely on the list for next year really gotcha 
I have one more question. So it's the post-COVID world and you've won a vacation for two weeks, all paid. Where are you going? Ooh. All right. Oh. I think mine would be the Bahamas. <laughs> I was thinking Bahamas. Yeah. Bahamas yeah. are good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Around there somewhere, I think, would be really good. Yeah. 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 Nothing like sitting with a cocktail on the beach after, right? Yeah. I think yeah, that would be- to experience some clear water, clear blue water, because we're only used to, well, we've dived, I've done the North Sea. It's yeah. all right. And obviously inland lakes, sometimes it's a bit. Yeah. Dive, diving by Braille. <laughs> and over the course of this, we've, we've um, had, you know, several conversations with um, uh, Christina Sonato. And oh, one of yeah. the things we always said we wanted to do at some stage is go and experience a shark dive with her. Yeah. You know, and that would yeah. be, be one of the things that we'd, we'd definitely like to do. Yeah, um, yeah. She's 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 got it wired down pretty tight, doesn't she? Where she's like balancing them on their their nose, they're balancing them vertical on her hand. And, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So fingers crossed. Whenever that may happen. Okay. Excellent. That's really really good. Been, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, sort of. uh, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Glad you guys liked it. Yeah, because fun. It's easy to think free diving is just holding your breath and going down, but it's not. <laughs> no, there's so much no more exactly, exactly. Yeah. I was just because we have non-divers listening to the podcast as well as divers, yeah. so yeah, to get that information out would be amazing. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, hopefully it might inspire a few more people to give it a go. Yeah, that's good. And like thanks that. for explaining the details as well. You know, earlier on because you know a lot of the times you know it's easy to forget about the physiology and the details and um, right. you know, those get forgotten about because people just see all the glossy photos and right. forget about actually all the training and uh, yeah. actually what's actually involved in it, how to yeah. actually get in. So thank you very much for explaining that. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're welcome. That yeah. was fun, you guys. Yeah, it's been a good way to sort of get information out there in, you know, times yeah. when physically meet people and, uh, yeah. Sort of yeah. Well, it's funny because when I left – a couple of days before I was going to leave, I, I just got back from New Zealand, right? From working on Avatar. And a couple of days before I was leaving, I was like, damn, you know, I'm going back to COVID. I'm going back to like, you know, keep your distance. And I just had this overwhelming urge to go up and hug everyone, you know, going up to the lighting guy, which I barely know. Hey, man. Oh, been great working with you. Oh, bring it in. Uh, you know, just like you just forget like how much we need that connection yeah. the simple physical handshake or that hug right if i could i'd give you guys a hug because that's a very canadian thing to do yeah <laughs> thank you very much for your time all right guys yeah, yeah. A lot of fun. thank you very much <laughs> okay so we'll be in touch and um yeah. let you know when it's coming out sounds great great have a good christmas won't you all right thanks very much thank you very much bye now that does wrap up today's episode of the big scuba podcast But if you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on. That way you will never miss an episode from us. But if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help us. If you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you.
If you have any questions for us or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.